Amen. Glad you could join us this morning. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 4. We've been in John chapter 4 for uh, a couple weeks here, and uh, there's a lot in this chapter, and I don't apologize for going through it a little, uh, taking us a little longer, but let's go ahead and look at, we're going to finish the chapter, and we'll take communion today. Let's look at uh, verse 27, uh, just until verse 42. Uh, I'll read that to you, and then we'll get right into the word. And so... uh, It says, at this point, Jesus, as you remember, is ministering to a woman in Samaria. The Bible says that he must needs, in the King James, he must needs go through Samaria. And we know why that is, because there was a woman here at the well who had an encounter with Jesus. and, And through her, God would reach many other people in Samaria as well. And so... Jesus had a plan and a purpose, as he always does. He he does nothing by mistake. He does nothing by happenstance. Everything is ordered. He understands all things. And so he's speaking to this woman. He reveals himself that he is the Messiah to her. And then he goes on, and and it says in verse 27, And then at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out to the city, out of the city, and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, we just thank you for your word, and Lord God, we pray that, Lord, you would just write it on our hearts today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of this morning's message is Faith Comes by Hearing the Word of God, and it's a very fitting title Because we know that in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it gives us a definition of what faith really is, what biblical faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Think about that. It is the the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So you hope for it. There's there's an anticipation, a, 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 a waiting, if you will, for something that is coming, 
And yet you have the evidence, and evidence is, solid, is, is evidence, isn't it? It's straight before you, so it's this interesting mix of something that's hoped for and also an understanding because it's God who makes the promises, you have the evidence in your heart that he is going to bring it to pass. That's what faith is. It's not just blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith when it comes to the Lord. You're, when, when, you're, when you're believing in what he said, you can count everything on it. You can sell your house and put the proceeds on that, on that promise. All right, That's how sure it is. God's promises are sure. And when we believe in him, we are basically depositing money in our account, in a sense. And notice what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 7. It says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing true faith, because belief... Or when we believe, it is equivalent to faith. When we, have a, when we believe in Jesus, it's because we've been given the faith or that we have the faith to believe in him. And I believe he even gives that to us, the capacity to believe, to have faith. It's his faith, and he gives it to us. And we have to exercise that faith from time to time. Hopefully we do it more often than not. But in the passage we're going to look at this morning, there are three events Uh, concerning those who heard the word. Remember, that's the theme. They heard the word and they believed. They heard the word and they believed in Jesus. The first time we hear it is, is with the Samaritan woman, and she gets marvelously saved. She believes in Jesus by faith. So she hears the word of God who is standing right before her, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That word is Jesus Christ, God incarnate. He was standing right there before this woman, and he tells her the truth, not only about who he is, but also about her sin nature. And she caves in, and she is all in. And so not only did she hear the word of God, but she took it into her own heart, and it didn't stop there, and it never should. And she went to the village. She spoke to everybody about this Jesus. Could this be the Christ? He told me all that I ever did, proving that he's God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knew events about her that no one could have known, that she'd been married five times before, and the man she's now with is not her husband either. And boy, didn't that put the finger on her, you know? And so she caves and she tells everyone about this Jesus. And then in this chapter 2, we're going to see a nobleman who lives in Capernaum, but he happened to be visiting Cana at the time, and his son was back home in, in Capernaum, and he was sick near to death. And Jesus spoke to this man and said, Your son is healed. And he had to travel some 20 miles in very rough terrain down back to Capernaum to find that his son did indeed live. At the same moment that Jesus spoke those words, his servants told him that was the very hour that the fever left his son. And so we have the word of God speaking. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. See, faith doesn't just come by hearing just anything, because true biblical faith comes by hearing the word of God. And there's something about the word of God that I believe is miraculous because when we hear the word of God, all of heaven is on our side to have it take root in our hearts and change us forever towards Jesus. Has that happened to you? I know that it's happened to me. And um, when we hear the truth of of the word of God, doesn't it ring true in your heart? 
When I first heard the word of God, I remember that I had heard it many other times before. There was one young man, his name was David Rickards. <laughs> and he was a, a, a young man in our, in our middle school. And his, his dad was a Baptist preacher there on Pine Island where I grew up. And David would always tell me the gospel. He was always telling me about the word of God. And I knew it was true. Every time he told me, I was convicted. I knew it, but I chose to turn my back and go my own way. And finally, one day, miracle of miracles, another young man tells me the same thing. And at that point, I'm just like, you know what? I am so sick of my life. Because that what I was involved in at that time, I was living in sin. I was, um, and, and, and you just get to the point, doesn't it? It's like, it's like cancer in the bones. You get to the point where you're just like, you know what? I am done with this. The devil has been beating me around. I've been, fo- I've been listening to his tunes and following the Pied Piper. And what has it got me? Nothing but heartache and sorrow. And you get to a point, don't you? Have you gotten to that point? I, I believe most of you, hopefully all of you have. And if you haven't, today's the day to come to an end of yourself and give your life to Christ. But I came to that point where the word of God, I couldn't excuse it anymore. I couldn't excuse my sin anymore. I had to give it up. I had to give it up. I love what it says in Isaiah. It says, For as the rain comes down and, from, and, uh, comes, comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's the verse I'm looking for, is, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. It shall prosper in the thing where it is sent. And isn't that true of our own hearts? God knows exactly what he's doing. And when he speaks a word, it's really, it behooves us to listen to him. The creator of all things, the, the God of, of the heavens. You know, there's no one, you know, the devil is not equal with God. Some people think that there's this yin and the yang thing from the Eastern mysticism, but guess what? It's not true. God is the sovereign potentate of the universe. Satan is a created being. Read it for yourself in Ezekiel 28. He's a created being. He's no match for God. God is on the throne. Everybody smile. He is on the throne. Even now, in the midst of all the mess in our country, he is on the throne and he is set. His throne, I love it, is set in heaven. And nobody is big enough to knock him off that throne. Like to see you try. My God is bigger than your God. Remember that when you were little? Oh, yeah, well, my old man can beat up your old man. Oh, yeah. Well, in this case, yes, but I wouldn't call him my old man. My God is bigger than your God, lowercase g, by the way. His is an uppercase g. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen? But notice, you believe it shall prosper where it is sent to it. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at a couple of, a handful of verses just briefly, but we're going to look at the life of Abraham. Because you remember after Abraham heard the word of the Lord, and this was in the very beginning when God called him out of modern-day Iraq, the Ur of the Chaldees, that's modern-day Iraq. And what did God say to Abraham while he was living in this pagan, idolatrous country, this, this place, The Lord called him out. The Lord spoke to him. Word of God speak. That's why we chose the song this morning. God spoke to him. What did the Lord say to him? He said to Abram in verse 1, 
The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will also curse him who curses you. You better be careful about your stance on Israel. <laughs> Christian. <laughs> you know, there. never mind. Here we go. There's a lot there. That, that phrase is very potent, and we could, uh, anyway. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in, your, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what happened? What happened as the word of God spoke to him? Did he say, oh, that's nice, but I got other plans. I kind of like it here. I got this lake. I got this house by the, you know, the, um, the river here. I don't need to go anywhere. No, I'm pretty content here. Thank you, but, you know, have a nice day. No, he responded to the word, and good for him, because Abraham would be blessed. He would be blessed. God would make sure of it. Notice the result of God speaking to him. What happened? Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Hebron. But he obeyed, he heard the word, he obeyed, he engaged. Turn with me to now Genesis chapter 15. Just a few pages over to your right. Look with me at Genesis 15. This is after Abraham rescued Lot. What does it say in verse 1? After these things, notice, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord, what, if, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. I'm an old man. You haven't given me anything, Lord. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, notice what happened. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, and here it is, This one shall not be your heir, Abram, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Are you kidding me? At, at my age and, my, and Sarah at her age? Yes, then he brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And notice the response of Abram here. What did he do? Did he shrug it off? Did he think it's no big deal? No, he believed in the Lord. The word of God spoke and he responded with belief, with, with faith. He believed God. And notice, here's the marvelous thing. And God, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. You believe God, he accounts that to you for righteousness. Well, don't I have to do, you know, have the bake sale and, you know, save up the money for the, for the widow and help her across the street and get her groceries? All that stuff is fine and good, but believing in God is the main thing. He believed in God and he accounted it to him for righteousness. If that was the only thing Abram did, God would be pleased with him. <laughs> he believed God. Do you believe God? Do you believe his word? You know, we read it. We've read so much in his word. We read, read the book of Revelation. We went through it. It took us a year and two months to get through the book of Revelation. Do you believe those words written in that? Do you know what's coming? Do you believe that it's coming? Do you believe that the Lord's going to rapture the church before that happens? Hallelujah. And yes, I'm looking forward to escaping that. Anybody who wants to be here during that should really seek counsel. And maybe even some medication, okay? No, I want to escape what's coming. And Jesus said, I have not appointed my, my, my church to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So Abraham believed God. 
In John chapter 6, you don't have to go here. Let me just read it to you. John chapter 6, verse 28, it says, um, the, the multitude speaking to Jesus says, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered them, and he said this, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, here is the work of God. Believe in me. Believe in me, because God the Father has sent me. Believe in me. That is the work of God. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. This is a chapter that we know very well and is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I hope I never have to go through this, but honestly, I think that this was one of those watershed moments in Abraham's life that really catapulted him into a whole different relationship with the Lord. Read with me what it says in verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He tested him, and he said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as, as on one of the mountains, I will tell you. And so Abram rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose, and he went to the place which God had told him, which is, by the way, the Temple Mount, for those of you who are curious. That sacrifice that was going to happen right where Abraham was is where the Temple Mount is today, and that's why Solomon built his temple there. And you'll see why in just a few moments. It says, Then the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. Notice, the pro, you know, circle this word, and we will come back to you. Wait a minute, I thought God told you to take your son and offer him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. Why did he say we are going to come back to you. I think, I think Abram, Abraham knew something here. He knew, because remember, back in uh, chapter 15 that we just read, we didn't read all of it, but God said, through your seed, through your seed, uh, the, the, the nations of the, are, are going to be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing, and, and your, your, your seed and your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea, like the stars in the sky. So if that is true, and this is my only son, then God, you've got a real big problem here. Because if all my descendants are supposed to come from him and you've asked me to take him and offer him as a burnt offering, you're basically negating all the promises that you told me. Do you, do you follow me? So this is a really huge deal. And honestly, I don't know how I would respond. Think of that. Abraham knew that this was pagan idolatrous kind of things. He, he, he knew God would not sanction this kind of behavior. That's what the pagans did. And not only that, he knew God's voice enough to say, Lord, I know you're speaking to me. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't like it. And I know you don't like it, but I'm going to follow through because I believe in what you've told me. And if, you're to if you told me to sacrifice my son, then you've got something else in mind that I can't possibly understand right at this moment. But I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to follow you. And so Abraham took, verse 6, the wood of the burnt offering, laid his son Isaac on it. Now Isaac, by this time, is a young man in his prime. This is not some little baby boy. You know, um, Isaac at this time is, a, is, a, is, is probably in his late teens. And he willingly laid his life down. Isn't there a wonderful type there of Jesus? He willingly laid down his life. I wonder what that, if there was a struggle at all. I wonder if Isaac trusted his father enough to say, because you know what he says. He says, his son 
says, Father, and Abraham said, Here my son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but there's no lamb for a burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, and they came to the place where God had told him. And you know what happened. He had bound him, and Abraham stretched his hand with the knife, and he was about ready to plunge it into the chest of his son. But the angel, verse 11, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And I bet he's going, Oh, thank God. Think about slaying your only son, your only daughter. Think of it. Put yourself in that position. I don't know that I could have done that, honestly. You'd really have to be confident that you're hearing from the Lord and not just a voice in your head. And is that voice God or is it the voice the devil? <laughs> you better be sure. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do any harm to him. Now I know. Now God knew that. God knew ahead of time where Abraham's faith was, but Abraham need to, needed to know where he really was. And there, oh, there's only one way to find out, and that's to go through the test. There's only one way. God knew that. But he says, now I know. In fact, Abraham, I knew before. But you had no idea. But now you do. Now you know where your faith is. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. And we know what happened. And so they offered up the ram instead. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. It was, a, it was a, an acting out, if you will, of what was going to happen thousands of years in the, in the future. From this point, another father would offer his son, his only son, on the same place. God the Father would offer Jesus, his son, on the cross. And he willingly laid down his life. Amen? And he went on in verse 17 in that same chapter. He says, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Now wasn't that the promise that he had given him about seven chapters prior to this? He had given him the promise. And he reminded him, God reminded him of the promise. Notice that Abraham was not only willing to burn, uh, to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, but he would also, he knew it would negate the promises that God made to him concerning his descendants, including Jesus Christ, who would come through Abraham's line in the flesh, right? But Abraham, notice, heard the word of God, he obeyed it, and it is a witness even unto us today. It challenges our hearts. Let's look at verse 27 in our text this morning because it's going to make a lot of sense as we go through this. The word of God speaking. At this point, his disciples came and marveled that he talked with a woman. It was kind of a taboo thing to be talking to a woman, much less a, a, a Jew talking to a Samaritan. Remember, the Samaritans were um, a mixed breed. They were part Jew, part Gentile, and that's why there was such bigotry and animosity between the Jews down in Judea versus those in Samaria. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, you remember. And yet no one asked, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and she said to the men, notice, she went to the men. I don't know, you know, after having five husbands, maybe she bumped into one of her ex-husbands. I don't know. But she went to the men, and they were the most influential in the culture, so I don't want to negate that either. I mean, she knew that to get the men involved in this would be important, so I want to give her that credit. She said, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? 
And again, not to spiritualize this too much, but I think it's interesting that she left her water pot. Her water pot was to get water to, for daily sustenance. And I see her leaving the water pot, and it's almost like Jesus is saying, you can leave that water pot here because the, thir- the, the, the living water that I'm going to give you is going to quell that thirst. It's going to quench that thirst. She'll never, I mean, she'll still need to get water out of the well, but she left the well. There was something more important at that moment. She needed to go tell everybody she could that this is the man. This is the one who the prophets have spoken of for hundreds of years, telling us that he would come. And finally he's here, and he revealed himself to me. He said, I am the Messiah. Didn't he say that in verse 26 of this chapter? I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, God in the flesh. And this is the witness of what Jesus had done in her life in an instant. Her witness was the ground. It was the very proof of what had happened deep within her. See, if we believe it, we are going to act upon it. If we don't believe it, then we won't act upon it. Do you follow? If I believe, if I believe in the Lord, if I believe in his word, then there there's ought to be something in me that, that engages and I do something about it. I look at my own heart. I I, I think of people around me that need the Lord as well. They need his forgiveness. They need the promise, the assurance of salvation. I needed that. And when I got it, oh my goodness, it lit me on fire. And all I wanted to do was tell everybody else about it. See, that's the word of God. It should have that effect on us. We, we We can no longer look at it. And I'm not saying that you are, but... There are some who will be listening to this that are taking the word of God. They're just like reading it like a textbook. No, it's, it's not a textbook. It's a living, living word that's speaking to you that we're supposed to do something with it. Let it get down deep in your heart and act upon it. Don't just go, ah, it's nice. There's a lot of lukewarm Christians in the world. But God wants worshipers. Worshipers are those who respond to what he has done. And worship is not just singing of songs. Worship is giving your life, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That is worship, giving everything of your life. Whatever it is that he calls you to do, you do it for him. You do it for him. And Jesus spoke to her about this gift of salvation, that he was the living water, the indwelling of the spirit that would be given to her. So what are we doing with this gift that God has given to us? What is our witness? What is our witness? I love what it says in Psalm uh, chapter 1. It talks about a tree planted by the rivers of waters that brings forth its fruit in due season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever it does, whatever he does, shall prosper. It's speaking about the person, the blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the, the, um, who walks in, 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 in the word of God. This person is planted in a, in a figurative sense by the rivers of water. And it brings forth fruit. What is fruit on branches? Fruit is really the, the expression of what's happening inside the tree. The leaf, the health of that leaf is determined upon what is happening in the center or the core of that tree, bringing up water and nutrients and all those things that are necessary for life. A healthy leaf means there's a healthy tree. A good-looking fruit that's hanging down and sagging is a good sign. That tree is very healthy. And see, that's what you and I, that tree is witnessing, isn't it? It's witnessing to based on what is happening underneath that nobody can see. 
and it's blossoming. The fruit is out there. The leaves are shining. The flowers are budding. And everyone's going, wow, that's so beautiful. That, that's your witness. That's our witness. Remember in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the, the true vine, and my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear good fruit, he takes away. <laughs> and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And many people have been beaten up by this verse over the years. You mean if I'm not bearing fruit, God's just going to take me away? He's going to throw me in the fire? You know, this is one verse. And I remember this very clearly. When I was a young boy, my grandma and my grandfather were Christians. And they're in heaven. But they belonged to a very legalistic fellowship. Very legalistic. And they used to beat people up over this verse. If you're not bearing fruit, man, God's just going to come by with those Fisker, uh, you know, pruners and just chop you off and throw you in the fire. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? And see, that's how ugly it got. That's how ugly it was. But what does it say in the original language? This is very important. Write this down. I mean, it's just, I have to share this because it's driving me crazy. So, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Underline takes away. You know what that word means? It means lifts up. He lifts it up. When a vine is laying in the mud, they do this in Israel today. When you, if you go to Israel with us next March, you, you'll, you, you'll see vineyards, and, and you'll see them. I actually saw them on the road this last March when we went. That we went by a vineyard, and there was a boulder that some, uh, the vine dresser, the husbandman, had stuck underneath this, this vine that was laying in the mud, and, you, and it was rainy, and you could see where the mud was, and he stuck a rock underneath it, and he lifted it up out of the mud, out of the water. Because what would happen if it laid there? It would rot, but it needed to get air, it needed to get the sunlight, it needed to dry out so that it would be healthy. That's what that means. That's exactly what that means. It's a very agrarian picture here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? Does he just cut it off and say, you're done, I'm done with you? No, he lifts it up, he's tender, he's careful. He wants you to bear fruit. So when you're in the mud, he lifts you up, he sticks that rock underneath, and he bears you up. He said, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And who is the vine? Who is the vine? Yes, he is the vine. We are the branches. I am the vine, he says, verse 5. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Do you believe that? I believe it because I prove it every single day of my life. <laughs> I can't do anything of any value apart from Christ. But this woman of Samaria, she was already, in just moments after her salvation, her conversion, what is she doing? She's bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. What a wonderful picture this is. She was seemingly unimportant too. And nobody, she was, she was a woman of ill repute. She had, a, she had a reputation. There's no doubt about that. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God, notice, has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things, in other words, the lowly or insignificant things of the world and the things which are, not, which are despised, those are the things that God chooses. Those are the people that God loves to use. The nobodies, the cast-offs. I qualify. 
I qualify for this because I'm nobody, I'm nothing. And the world turned its back on me and I turned my back on it. God doesn't need superstars. He doesn't need to superstars. We tend to lift up those who are born again that are superstars, the rock stars, the movie stars, the sports stars, the actors and the actresses. The Lord doesn't need any of these. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love those people. He does, but he doesn't need them to accomplish his work. God used a woman of very questionable morality to bring others to Jesus. And what happened here in Samaria is so unlike, unlike America. We always put up the best. We always put up the best. We have the big name. We have the lights, the, the audio-visual stage set up, and we have you know, the, the spotlight right on them and the, the nice suit and the pinky rings, you know, and they're all glittering, and you show them like this, and, oh, it just blinds you because of the lights. And Yeah, we stream it to 128 countries in real time. God doesn't need any of it. He doesn't need it. Notice verse 30, then they went out of the city and they came to him. They came to Jesus. You never know as you are sharing with somebody that the person you are sharing with could be the next Billy Graham or the next Greg Laurie. It could be the next A.W. Tozer. Certainly this woman was a wonderful tool in God's hand. Do you want to be a tool in God's hands? Well, you're going to be a tool in God's hands, and you are. And especially if you join us in July and August as we go out, God's going to use you as a tool And it's okay to be a little scared and nervous about this kind of thing. It's very, it's something that the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they've kind of cornered the market on that. We need to take it back. (laughs) We need to take it back. Notice in verse 31, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And notice, and to finish his work. His work. What does it say in John 17? I love this. His his food is to do the will of the one who sent him, to finish his work. And that's my joy. Hopefully that's what I get to do. Hopefully that's what I'm doing is being a part of that, doing his will, being a part of his work. What did Jesus say? He said, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. And this was just hours before he would go to the cross, hours. This was the night that he had the last supper with his disciples, that he had the very last Passover meal, where he instituted communion, which we're going to be taking today. He said, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the, true, the one, only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work. Notice, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. The cross was yet before him, hours away. But in Jesus' heart and mind, it was already a done deal. He could say at this point, hours before they would arrest him falsely and accuse him falsely and go through all the parade that he went through with all these rulers. 
He had one more step to the cross, but Jesus knew that it was a done deal at that point. There was nothing that was going to stop that from happening. I have finished the work which you gave me to do, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There is his omnipresence. Jesus has always existed, even before his birth. That's why they call it the mystery of the incarnation, because he was alive very much, thank you, before Genesis 1, verse 1. That's why in the beginning, God, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all had a plan, and they worked it all together. And Jesus knew that man shall not live by bread alone, but, but, but uh, man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So in verse 35, he says, Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Right now in our country is a great time for the church to evangelize and spread the word. Why? Because many people, at any given time, but especially now, because over 2020 up until now, people have gone through so many emotional and spiritual and physical and emotional hurts and pains and, and, and scares and fears, and it's totally racked everything and everybody, and it's, it's messed up everything. <laughs> A disease that has a 99.8% survival rate. Isn't that interesting? Our whole world was upended. Kind of makes you go, hmm, something is going on. And it is. But many people are hurting right now, and the harvest is right now. So be sensitive to that as we go out in July and August to the neighborhoods. Around here, we'll go two by two. It, it, and and the, the weather is usually nice. We'll go out only when it's sunny. If it's really thunderstorming, we'll stay inside here and have a you know our normal study and worship time. But it's a beautiful time, and it'll stretch you a little bit, which is good. I need to be stretched, don't you? Because unless I'm put in a place where I'm stretched, I, I just I don't grow as well. But when I'm kind of put up to the task, when I'm challenged by something. That's how I grow. That's how you and I grow. I don't grow if I stay stagnant. If your Christianity is boring, if you're like, you know, I know I'm saved, but, you know, I just don't have any desire for anybody. I don't even have a desire to read the Word of God. Well, the problem is, is you've gotten lazy. You've gotten lazy, and, you, and the Lord is no longer, you're not allowing him to challenge you in his Word anymore. You're taking the Word as for, you know, this is good for somebody else, not me. No, it needs, you need to be the first partaker of that Word. You do. I need to as well. I, we all do. We, if we stay still, we're going to grow moss on our back. We cannot stay still. We have to keep moving forward in Christ. Continually growing. Don't let your life get into a place, because that's really when people start falling off and dropping off the map. It doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation, but you become ineffective. And you're no longer effective for the Lord anymore. Don't get like that. Pray about that. Verse 36, and he who reaps, notice, receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, 
that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of those things can happen and it's a deposit for you in heaven. You're going to receive rewards for the things that you do now in this body in Christ on this earth until Jesus returns for us in the rapture. We will be rewarded for things that we have done. I like that. And you know what? If I only get to heaven by the skin of my chinny chin chin and I have no crowns, believe me, I'm going to be one happy camper. But I would be even happier of a camper if the Lord had given me crowns that I would just lay at his feet again and say, God, all these things that you've allowed me to, to, uh, to do in your name, it's all because of you. It's all because of you. I don't deserve these. These are all because of your spirit working, and I just had to relinquish my life. And, you know, he who seeks his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will gain it. I've lost my life for you, Lord, and, and I've gained everything. And all of these, whatever, if there's only one, if there's none, I give them back to you. I cast them at your feet. You alone are worthy. And oh, how wonderful that day will be. Amen. Verse 37, for in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And that's what this woman was doing of Samaria. She was sowing and, and reaping. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored, and others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says this. He says, who then is Paul, or who is Apollos? They're nothing but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then he goes on and he says, so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward. There it is. According to his own labor, he's going to receive a reward. I want to receive that award. Not because I'm greedy for rewards, but I think in, in heaven it's going to be a big deal to be able to, to give to the Lord and to express that love and gratitude for what he has done in my life and what he's doing in yours and to lay that at his feet and say, God, I am so grateful that you would use me when I was on death's door. I deserve nothing. Notice verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. This word testified is martyrio. This is uh, where, we, uh, where we get our word martyr. She is a witness. She's a witness of who Jesus is. She gave a good report, and she's an eyewitness of who he is. And then verse 40, so then, or excuse me, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him, with them, excuse me, and he stayed there for two days. Two days. And many more believe because of, guess what? His own word. Word of God speak. Would you fall down like rain, washing my eyes to see of your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God speak. He stayed there two days with them. These people that nobody wanted anything to do with. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus is not a bigot. He's not prejudiced. He's not racist, and neither should we. Amen? We're all from the same race, the human race, from Adam 
Scientifically, that's right on the money. Right on the money. We all came from the same. Verse 42, he says, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said. We we enjoyed what you said. I, I, I wish I knew her name. We enjoy what you've told us, but now we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed, this is indeed Christ, the Savior of the world. Isn't this the goal of every human being, especially every Christian? And this is why we need to tell others. And can you wait? Can't you wait to tell? I mean, I love to tell people about Jesus. The thing I get discouraged at is when nobody wants to hear about it. But that doesn't mean that we don't talk about it. We continue to engage is it, is, it, is it comfortable to engage somebody with Christ? No, it's probably one of the most hard things in the world because the devil doesn't want you to, he wants you to shut up. He wants to silence you. He wants to censor you. <laughs> he wants to censor you. And you know how that feels when you're witnessing to somebody and everything within you is going, you better run and hide. That's the devil. And you just fight through it. And it is not easy, is it? But that's what we're called to do. Isn't that the great commission that Jesus shared with us in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of all nations. All nations, not just the Jews. No, he's the savior of the world. Not just the Jews. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which means they had to come to faith first, right? So now they're a believer. Now baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded with you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are at the end of the age. People have been saying that for a long time, but I tell you what, as the days go on, and especially after 2020, (laughs) I'm looking, I'm like, man, we are closer than we've ever been. We're close, folks. Don't get lazy and think, you know, oh, the Lord delays his coming. No, he's not delaying his coming. It's right on time. And when he comes, I want to be caught up. The only thing I want people to see is the bottom of my sneakers. Vans off the wall. He's gone. Notice that it was a people that didn't ask for God, these Samaritans who found him, who found God. They found him. Nobody wanted to be around them. They weren't even looking for him, but he found them. Go with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. We're going to read through verse 6 through 21 here. This is an important part. Romans 10, verse 6. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Now skip down to verse 8. It says, But what is it? It says, The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, or the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And this was demonstrated, wasn't it, 
in Jesus' life as he ministered to this woman who was uh, of mixed, mixed race, or mixed uh, racial, you know, she's mixed um, ethnic, right? For whoever calls upon the Lord, notice, whoever, whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. And this woman, if you remember, she was exactly that person, bringing good tidings of good things to a people that everyone wanted to forget about. They were like a stain on society. Uh, we just bypass them. We don't want to go through their land lest we become defiled. But God sent this woman, and they have not all, for they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes. Verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. He's speaking of, of, of Israel now. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Now this is not only speaking of the Gentiles, you and I, but it's also speaking of these Samaritans. He's going to provoke them to jealousy by a people that are not a people. By a foolish nation, I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, verse 20. And he said, I was found of them that sought me not. That's exactly what the Samaritans were. They weren't seeking God, but he was found of them that sought me not. And I was made manifest unto them that asked not for me. But to Isaiah, he said, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Jesus, as he spoke to the Jews, they would reject him. Him. They would reject him, but he would go to the man up north, Cornelius, a Gentile. Peter would go there and he would speak to him, and the Gentiles gladly received Jesus. Now it says in verse 43, now after the two days... He departed from there and went to Galilee. Because remember, uh, Galilee or Judah is down here in the south part, and then Samaria is in this, the middle part of Israel, and then Galilee is in the northern part. So he went from Judah down there to, to be at the Passover. That's where he spoke with Nicodemus. Now he goes through Samaria. He's there for a couple of days. He's there for two days, and all of this happens. And now he's going to continue going north into Galilee. And it says in verse 44, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus, being born in Bethlehem and Judah, they would ultimately reject him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And even when he goes back to Nazareth, they initially received him, hoping to see some miracle and miracles, things that they could see. And it wouldn't be long that they would reject him too. So verse 45, when he came to Israel, or came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen, notice, all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, which is the Passover, for they also had gone to the feast. And notice our last section here. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So Cana is this little town 
uh, southwest of Capernaum. Capernaum is there on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. We visit both of these places when we go to Israel, and it's really remarkable because you see the terrain. And um, whenever you're in Capernaum, you're down in the in the in the lake area, and there's mountains all around you. And as you go up to Cana, you're going up. You're going up into Cana, and so this man who we're going to be talking about, had to walk all the way from Capernaum because he left his son back in Capernaum who was sick and near to death. And he heard about Jesus and he was hoping that he would come and heal him. So then he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee. So he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son because he's in Cana. So he's going to physically walk down from Cana. That's his hope is that he would come down to Capernaum And then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. He knew that their motivation was not the best. He knew they were just looking for miracles. But he saw something in this man. And um, uh, because remember, prior to this miracle that Jesus is going to do, he made water wine at Cana. And by this time, the people knew all about it. And so he became uh, a miracle worker. And there's an unfortunate slogan, seeing is believing. Is that biblical? No. (laughs) What is? (laughs) Seeing is not necessarily believing, but believing is seeing, isn't it? Believing is seeing. So the nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, you go your way, your son lives. Notice, he just said that. He didn't even need to go down. Because it's about 16 to 20 miles away in very rough terrain. Jesus looked at this man and he says, go your way, your son lives. So that man had a choice to make, didn't he? He says, go your way, your son lives. And so the man, notice, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Here's the word of God speak again. He spoke the word of God to him. This is what he said to him. Go your way and your son lives. Now, the man had a choice. He could say, oh, oh, come on, man. You've got to at least lay your hands on him. I mean, it's not going to work unless you physically touch him, right? I mean, you've got to be there. And Jesus is like, no, go. Your son lives. And so he could either believe that or not. And his faith is going to grow because of what Jesus does. Because as he was going down now, he's going down from Cana, he's going down geographically, down to Capernaum, down there in, in, uh, down by the Sea of Galilee. His servants met him as he was getting close to Capernaum, and they said, your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at that same hour which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself, noticed he believed and his whole household, he believed the word. He heard the word and he believed it. And God saved his son. I wonder what would have happened if the man said, you know what? I, I bet his son wouldn't have been healed. If it's, Think of the father. He could have said, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to fall for that. You've got to come physically or I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to happen. And Jesus, okay. Jesus would probably say, okay, your son will be with me shortly. 
Could be. I don't know. I mean, I'm not Jesus, but I think there was something about this. The man expressed and grew in his faith. And so the father knew, and he himself believed in his whole household. So what have we heard? We're going to end here, and then we'll take communion. Thanks for your patience. What has the word of God told us, for us today, that we wait for yet by faith? The rapture. Didn't Jesus say to his disciples in that upper room, what did he tell them? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But notice what he said. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may, uh, that I will come to you. And uh, let me just read it. (laughs) I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's going to receive us to himself. That's the rapture of the church, right? He's going to rapture us. If you have any questions about that, come see me. But that's a serious and, and a, a promise that God has made. He has told us that he is going to come. And we... In Romans, it says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, when you receive Jesus into your heart and the Spirit of God indwells you, you have the first fruits of the Spirit, the, the down payment, if you will, the earnest. For even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, in other words, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen, excuse me, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. And that's what the faith is. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Didn't Jesus just tell us that he's going to return for us? He's putting his down payment of the spirit of God in us if you're a believer and you're born again. But now he's, that's just the earnest. That's the down payment. Now he's going to actually redeem your body. And he does that at the rapture. That's when the deal is sealed. That's when he finally puts his final payment, which he's already purchased by his blood. He will come back and say, now, I'm going to take you bodily. Just as I rose from the grave, you are going to raise in like manner, and you will have a resurrected body that will be able to withstand eternity. I'm looking forward to that upgrade. Looking forward to that. Because every day I get up and my knees (laughs) and my back... Of course, I need to lose about 20 pounds, but that's beside the point. We'll finish with this verse. First John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That's allowing the, the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to work in our lives. That's what I want. I want the word of God to dwell in me richly, changing me and changing others. Isn't that what you want to And so let's pray and we'll take communion together. Father, we just thank you for this time together. And Lord, how we pray that you'd bless our time as we take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.